Let's pray and, uh, and we'll get started. Lord God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to preach and just for all of us, God, the opportunity to hear your word preached. Uh, Lord, we come here every week uh, just with a, a, an eagerness to know you, God, hopefully, but also just we come weak, we come needy, we come um, just worn down by our lives, God. Uh, it can be so difficult. And so, Lord, I just pray that as we continue that our series this morning, that you would just be preaching to our hearts to enjoy again, opening our eyes to the joy that we have in you. God, we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Philippians chapter 1, where Jared just read from. We're going to pick up in uh, verse 18. And we are continuing our series in Philippians called Enjoy Again, where Paul is writing to the Philippians, um, expressing this deep desire that he has that they would share the joy in Christ that he himself has. And what's crazy about this book that's really interesting is that Paul is writing saying, I want you guys to have the joy that I have, but Paul is writing from a Roman prison. He is wrongfully imprisoned, waiting trial before uh, the emperor for crimes that, that he didn't do, that he just was accused by other rival Jews who were opposing the gospel and opposing the church. But here Paul is in prison, very possibly going to die, and yet he's like, you know what I need to do? I need to write the Philippian church so that they know that I want them to have the joy that I have right now. And that's, that's what is just mind-blowing to me about this book, is that Paul is in what would seem like one of the lowest places someone could be in, and yet he seems to be at this peak of joy in his life. And that's what he's writing about, is, is that we would share that joy that he has. And so last week we saw Paul expressing that he wanted the Philippians to know how God was working, even in the midst of Paul's imprisonment, to advance the gospel. How even though Paul's in prison, the imperial guard is coming and, and it's becoming known throughout all of them that Paul is there because of Jesus. Before, the, the guard had no idea, all of those uh, prison guards had no idea who Jesus was. They, they, hadn't, they weren't worshipers of God, but now they know that Paul is there because of Jesus. And through that, Paul has windows and doors to, to, to share the gospel. And we know now that because we have a letter to the Romans, that there was a church in Rome and that uh, God was working and using that to advance the gospel. And so Paul is celebrating that and he's sharing it with the Philippians that they would also know that God works in all circumstances, good and, and even in bad, to bring about our good and his glory that he is working in all circumstances to further the gospel. And so that's where we're picking up today. And in this passage, Paul is using his own joy that he has here in prison as an example for the joy that he wants the Philippians to have in Christ. And a key point that we're going to need to remember as we look at this passage is that you were made for joy. I think, I would guess that most, maybe all of us in this room are with me there. I know there's some people in the world who just like to be grumpy, like they just, they seek out, you know, reasons to be mad at people. Uh, and, you know, they, they get all these reasons and they sit down and they just, they just kind of get in their chair and they just grump for a while. And I don't know if, if that's any of you, but I think most of you are with me that we were made for joy. There's something about the joy of, of family, the joy of vacations and good experiences, the joy of seeing Michigan win another football game. There's something about those joys that we just feel, this feels right. This feels good. We want more of it. We know that this, this is somehow implicitly part of our nature, that we are meant, we are made to be joyful. And yet so often we're not joyful. Amen? 
So much of life is, 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 is about a fight for joy, about um, just rolling around in, in, in despair or sadness or fear or anxiety, not experiencing, not living in that joy. And I just want to acknowledge on the front end that there is a place and a time for grief. There's a place and a time for, there's a, a healthy sort of fear that we can have. I could probably learn from a lot of you more about that healthy fear. But, you know, to, to, if you're on the edge of the Grand Canyon looking over, maybe take a step back right? Like it's, you know, be careful. But there's, at, at the end of the day, we're made for joy. That, that fear, anxiousness, grief, those things aren't going to endure for eternity with God in heaven, but rather joy will. We're made to have joy. And so you were made for joy. And as God is the creator and source of all joy, you were made to enjoy God. We are made, we're made to recognize that every good and perfect gift comes from God above, our Father in heaven, who made all of it, who is the reason that every good thing exists. And because of him, we, we can have that joy. And so we're made to recognize that and then to glorify him for it and to praise him for it. And so I, I think about it like this. If you enjoy good things, that's a good sign. It means you're working. You're, you're, you're operating, in, at least in this way, you're operating in the way that you were designed to operate, to recognize and appreciate joy. And, and sin is what robs us of that. Sin is what uh, invites us to misplace our hope and our joy in other things and not to experience the far greater joy of knowing God. And so Paul's essentially saying to the Philippians, I want you to know and to not miss out on this joy. And likewise, as I've been studying this passage, my hope and my prayer for my life and for all of us in this church is that we would know and not miss out on the joy of knowing God. That that's not just like a one-time thing when you become a Christian, but that is an ongoing daily reality that you can continue to grow in joy. And we're going to get more into just what that looks like. But I don't want us to try to follow God without experiencing that overwhelming joy because we were made for joy. So the big idea we'll see today is that God calls us to magnify his name through enjoying him above all else. God calls us to magnify his name through enjoying him above anything else. And so with that, let's uh, jump in. We're in picking up in verse 18, and Paul's continuing that line of thought that God is working all things together for good. He says, what then, referring, this is back to people who were preaching for, with wrong, wrong intent, wrong um, reasons, trying to afflict Paul in his imprisonment. He says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And then he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. And so I know Shannon doesn't like the ESV. Uh, if you don't like the ESV translation, like this is, this is an opportunity to knock it because this sentence is pretty wordy and a little hard to track, but let's break it down. Paul says, yes, and I will rejoice. So he's saying, this is, I'm even in prison, even in this really hard, outwardly hard, difficult situation, I will rejoice. Why? Because for, he says in verse 19, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He's eagerly expecting and hoping this, this deliverance, right? He, he's confident in that. So already we see that Paul is not behaving as someone normally would, we would normally expect someone who is in prison possibly awaiting an execution because they would be perhaps despairing, perhaps um, frustrated, perhaps 
looking for any kind of encouragement, but rather Paul is the one doing the encouraging, and he is confident that in some way this is going to work out for his deliverance. What kind of deliverance is that? Well, we read on, and he, we kind of get some hints. He continues in verse 20. He says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So I don't think that this deliverance only means that he's going to get out of prison and go on living. Paul says elsewhere in this letter that like, he's confident that that's actually what's going to happen. But what, right here, this deliverance he's talking about is going to be achieved whether Paul lives or whether he's executed. Whether he lives or whether he dies, he's going to get this deliverance. So it can't just be him getting out of jail. Right? I think the key here is the same word used for deliverance is used a couple other places in the letter, and it's translated as salvation. And it's not talking about like the first time that we get saved, but rather um, it's talking about our overall sanctification. It's talking about God completing the work that he began in us. And so when you become a Christian, when you be, start to follow Jesus, you, are ju- you accept the gospel, you experience regeneration, you're justified in God's sight, and you're made new before him. So he looks at you and he doesn't see guilt. Instead, he sees the righteousness of Christ. But then over the span of our lives, God is working in our lives to transform us and shape us to be more and more like Christ. And so we see more and more in our lives an outward transformation, an inward, inward transformation that works itself outward in my life that rather than uh, being run and, and, and living by selfishness and by greed and by all of the things that were always for me, instead I'm finding that I just want to glorify God and, and bless and love the people around me with my life. Amen? That's what we're doing, and that seems to be what Paul's saying here. So in a nutshell, he's saying, whether I live or whether I die, I am confident that God is going to use this situation to bring me closer to him. And, and maybe that's going to be very fast, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to be there with him at that final day where he completes that work of sanctification, or maybe I'm going to go on living, and this is going to be another, another detail, another part of my history that God used to shape me to be more like him. And so then he says, uh, just to back up a little bit, he says in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, right? So this is the deliverance he's looking, looking at. And then he says that he will not be at all ashamed. And so at all ashamed, I think he's saying that he's not going to look back and regret the decisions that he's made. He's not going to look back and regret that, that he made this decision to put it all, to put everything else aside and to give his life to follow Christ. He's saying, no, no matter what happens, I, as it all plays out at the end of the day, I'm going to look back and I'm going to be so glad and proud that this is the life that I've lived. And it, he says it's his eager expectation and hope that this is, this is what his mind is on. His mind is on the future of what God is going to do next. Where, where's, where is he going with this? What is going to happen next? How is God going to use even this for good? So he's not, his, his, his eyes aren't at his feet. He's not, he's not just staring at the ground just like, man, what am I going to do here in prison? But rather, he's waiting, God, how are you going to use even this? And we see that God is using his time in prison to bring the gospel even to more people in Rome. And so then, to finish that, out that sentence, he says, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And, and that word honored literally means enlarged magnified. We often, we often talk about glorified, that he is making larger, making bigger God in the eyes of everybody around him. So that both in his own life and in, in, in everyone else's sight, they will see that God is great, that God is big. And Paul is celebrating, he's rejoicing because whether he lives, whether he dies, he's confident that God is going to use that, um, use, use his time there in prison to glorify his name.
And so, to summarize, Paul is saying that he is continually rejoicing in God while in prison because he knows that whether he lives or dies, God will use his life to advance the gospel and magnify his name in the earth. And that that is going to bring Paul closer to Jesus in one way or another. So what can we take away from that? Well, Paul is sharing this with the Philippian church. Again, not, it's not a flex. He's not saying, look at, look at, you know, look at how much joy I have even in prison. Like that wasn't, it was a, a shameful thing. Rather, Paul is sharing this with the Philippian church because he wants them to share this joy that he has. He wants them to know the joy of Christ. He doesn't want them to go through life and not experience that joy. And he wants them to know that when we recognize that God is working in all of our situations, in all of our trials, whatever it is, however hard it is, God is in it and he's working it to use it to bring us closer to him in one way or another. That's a joyful reality. Amen? That's an exciting thing to know that whatever hard thing I'm going through, God is not absent, but he is present. He is there. He is with you. He's working and using it to bring you closer to him. And that reality is leading Paul to praise God even though he's in that Roman prison possibly about to be executed. And so I think a question here for us is, what areas of your life are marked by an absence of joy? Think about that. Where in your life is there just the least joy? Maybe it's something very fresh that you're grieving. Maybe it's some kind of anxiousness. Maybe it's some kind of unfulfilled desire. But where in your life are you missing out on joy? And what how would it help? What would it look like if you were to understand and see that God is not absent from that part of your life, but he is there with you, and he is working in it? It's, it's part of his purpose for your life, and he is working in it to shape you and draw you closer to himself. Think about how that would change our perspective and our attitude and outlook on life if we were able to just understand and have that faith to know that God is always with us working. Amen? We're still waking up. It's all right. <laughs> so we're going to move on from there. Next, Paul, he shares more of his understanding of this spiritual reality that gives him so much joy in the midst of his imprisonment. And so he continues in verse 21. He says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. This perspective right here is the key to Paul's joy in prisons, in beatings, and all of the suffering that he endures. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. He's saying that this is a win-win situation for him. He can't lose. Whatever happens, he's going to be glad. It's, it's going to be a win. It's going to be a good thing because he knows that it's going to bring him closer to God. Specifically, he says, um, if, if he, to die is gain. So if he dies, what does that mean? He could die, but death is not the end. Jesus died in his place to give him new life and, and to overcome death so that when Paul dies, he gets to enter into a perfect eternity with God. That's what every Christian has to look forward to. So already, any situation you have, death is not the end. Death is, is a win situation for you. And that's what Paul's saying is for him, he has that perspective, death is not the end. Death is a win. So to die is gain. But then he shares right before that, to live is Christ. What does that mean? To live is Christ. Look at what he says about it. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. So he's talking about going on, knowing and living for and serving Jesus, going on about his ministry, getting to continue to magnify God's name in the earth, getting it to continue day by day, day by day, experience more and more of God's sanctification and see how God is transforming him and leading him to be more a part of, uh, to, to be more uh, 
part of God's character and heart and, and to share in his love for the world, to, to also go about his ministry and be able to share that love with more people and to be able to see new people who, who before never knew God, never had that relationship with God, come alive with the love and the joy that they can have in Christ. And to see the Philippians come alive more and more with that joy that they have in Christ. He got to see it at first, and he gets to continue. he's hoping to continue to be able to use and spend his life to do that more and more. And he says, fruitful labor for me. Like, note that word fruitful. Not just labor, but he's, he's saying that he expects that that labor is being used by God, that it's going to produce fruit. It's going to have results. And likely, he's even going to be able to see some of those results, and that is just an exciting thing to him, that he could be able to be on the ground, front lines, firsthand, witnessing the gospel of God advancing into the world. Isn't that something that we want for our community, to see God's gospel advance, to see people come alive with his love, to see lives transformed, to see drug dealers stop dealing drugs, and, and, uh, and just parents who, who are uh, fathers who are, are absent or, or not helpful to their children or not loving, to be absolutely transformed and to be more and more in the image of our loving Heavenly Father. And all of the different ways that, that God works in our hearts to transform us, to make us into the sort of loving, selfless people who just want to spend our lives blessing the people around us. That's what Paul's looking forward to. That's what he's talking about, is that he can continue to know more and more of that joy that he has in Christ and get to sh- use his life to share that with the people around him. And so because of that, he says, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And choose here is the, the sort of choose that's talking about his preference, which one he desires. Because he has no say in whether or not he's going to get executed. Rather, he's talking about which one of these do I want more. If, if I could pick, which one would I rather have? And he says, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. He says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. The image there is this narrow road or alleyway that has walls on either side that Paul is just like squeezing through and that he just, he can't go any more in one way or the other because the opposite desire is just this wall keeping him right there torn between those two options. That's how much he wants both outcomes, for him to be with Christ in person, what a joy, but also for him to be able to go on serving Christ here on earth. So he says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. If it was just about me, if it was just me, nobody else, I would want to be with God. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. And so he's thinking about being able to share that joy that he has in Christ with the Philippians. We shouldn't read here more necessary in a begrudging way right? Uh, John pointed that out to me when he was looking at this passage with me, that when we see, oh yeah, it's, it's more necessary for me to remain, you know, on your account. Like, it's like, oh yeah, I, I wish I wasn't here, but I'll stay here because I need to be for you. And like, we just can read that in, like, but that's, I don't think that's Paul's attitude here. Over, all throughout this chapter so far, he's talking about the love and the joy that he has for the Philippians. He, how, he, how, how, how much he longs to see them, how he's thanking God for them every time, all day, all the time, how he's um, just so excited to be able to see them again, if, if possible. He says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So he's hard-pressed between these two options, meaning that he wants both of these greatly. And, and he's torn. He can't decide which one of these he wants more. And, and that's kind of crazy to think about because we would expect Paul to... Like, on the one hand, death is death, 
right? And on the other hand, if Paul was to go on living, it was probably going to mean he was going to continue to suffer for the gospel in some way or another. Like, that's just the theme of Paul's ministry. And so if someone were in his situation, in jail, possibly waiting execution, and it seems like their choices are to go on suffering in some way, but at least they get to live or to die, that would be a pretty bleak outlook. And yet for Paul, it's a win-win. And it's a win-win because his joy is anchored not in his circumstances, but his joy is anchored in his God, the author and source of all joy. And because his life is, is he's all out to, to know God and to serve him, that's what he wants. And so at this point, we could say, well, good for Paul. That's great for him, but I don't think that could ever be me. Like, I just, whether that just either seems too exhausting to be me, or it just seems just not likely. Like, I just am too selfish. I don't see myself ever having that attitude in those types of situations. But remember, that's the whole reason Paul's writing this, is he wants not this joy not just for himself, but he wants others to experience the same joy. He wants the Philippians to experience that same joy. And I believe that this um, sentiment of Paul is preserved in Scripture for us to read today because God wants us to experience that same joy. Amen? God does not want us to go through our lives and, and serve him and follow him and not experience the joy of knowing his glory. So he's saying, I want, I want you guys to be able to experience knowing and seeing God through the same win-win lens and to be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So how can we embrace that reality? The only way, to, for when he says to live is Christ, to die is gain, the only way that that is true is if you want Jesus more than everything you have and more than anything you could lose. If you, the only way that's true is if you want Jesus more than any, everything you have and more than anything that you could lose. Because otherwise you have things to, gaining is, uh, death is loss. It's not gain, it's loss. Because you're losing the things that you want more than Christ. Or going on living is, is not Christ, it's going on living is career. Or it's, it's wealth, or it's family, or it's vacation, or, or leisure, or whatever else it is that, that you find your heart more drawn to than God. But to live is not career, it's not wealth, it's not leisure or downtime. To live is not family. To live is Christ. It's all for him. All life is made for joy, and specifically it's made for the ultimate joy of knowing and glorifying God. That doesn't mean if you have a family to take care of that, that you neglect them, that you leave them behind. Rather, it means that you would serve them all the more selflessly than if you did otherwise. Because if, if family is your God, then your love for family might only be here. But if God is your God, then you are going to love your family and whoever else God places in your life in the same selfless way that Jesus loved the church and gave his life for the church. Amen? And that's, that's the sanctification that God is, is working and bringing us towards. To live in Christ means that everything in your life, in everything in your life, your highest aim is to know God, to glorify him. And so back to our series title, we're calling the series Enjoy Again. What I want for us is not to miss out on this joy, but rather that we would be able to enjoy God in the same way that Paul is enjoying God again and again. And so when we make Christ our, our everything, when we make Christ our ultimate joy, there's nothing that can keep us from that. It, that becomes true for us. To live is Christ, to die is gain. 
There's, there's no circumstance that I could be in in which I cannot, there's, there's a time and place for grief, there's a time and place for, for a healthy fear or whatever else, but there's no place that I'm not ultimately returning back to that joy that I have in Christ. And so again, I want to make the point that this is, this is not just some arbitrary perspective or philosophical outlook on life, right? This isn't, this isn't Paul's like life hack or mind trick to how to just have more joy in life, right? That, that, the, that sentiment, I think, kind of comes from this, this popular idea that reality is awful, that reality is no good, that reality is something that we want to distract ourselves from, we want to escape from, and instead we want to try to create our own sort of reality, our own perspective, our own mindset that will give us a more joyful life. Is that familiar? Yeah? Like, that's, that's, that's a very popular idea, right? That reality is something to distract ourselves from, to move away from. What Paul's saying here is that reality is beautiful. If only we could understand more of the reality of who God is and understand the reality of the gospel that he has given, died to give us, then that would just, that would fl- uh, flood out any kind of lack of joy in our lives and we would have so much joy and love in Christ. So Christianity is not, it's never a fight to get away from reality, but it's always a fight to see the beautiful reality of what God has done for us in Jesus. Amen? And so what that means that is the gospel has come, if the gospel has come to you uh, and if the Holy Spirit has made his way into your heart, then there is more joy in store for you than you can possibly imagine. Think about that. All of the infinite wealth of joy of, of the glory of God that we can't see, that we don't fully comprehend, that's what's waiting for us. And whatever God is doing in our lives to bring us closer to him, that's what's waiting for us. That's what he's moving us towards. Think about if someone gave a six-year-old boy a billion dollars. How long would it take for him to appreciate what he has? Like, he, he couldn't spend it. He couldn't spend it very fast at all. Like, it's like, how many cookies is that? I, I have no idea. Like, that's just, that's so much. Like, he, he could buy all of the toys and have hardly put a dent in it. Like, that's crazy. I believe that that's often the tone in which Paul is writing, that if you've come to know Christ, you are like a brand new six-year-old billionaire. And you just have no idea what you have access to, the joy that is awaiting you, what is in store for you in Christ. And yet that's not just some perspective, that's the reality. And Paul wants us not to live as though that's not true, but he wants us to be able to open our eyes, have our eyes open, and to be able to look up and see more and more the joy that we have in Christ, the joy of knowing God, and how that will transcend any circumstance so that our lives here on this earth can be spent not dragging our feet for no reason, but rather that we would be able to come back again and again to this overwhelming abundance of joy that we have in Christ and that that could be just this witness and this, this, this uh, picture to the world of the greatness and the glory of God. And that's going to bring us to the last couple of verses here. Paul wraps it up in verse 25. He says, Convinced of this, I know, I am very confident that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And basically what Paul's saying here is that he, he is confident that he is going to be able to be reunited with the Philippians so that he can continue to help them glory in Christ. 
that he can help them find that joy in Christ, that he can help them know and, and experience all of the joy that they have access to in Jesus. He's saying, I'm convinced that God is going to keep me around longer because there's more work to be done to glorify him. And I'm excited for it. Specifically, he wants to revisit the Philippian church and, and help them know and unlock all of that, all of the, that joy of, of the, knowing the glory of God and knowing and serving Christ. And we don't really know, like, I don't think the, the Bible specifically gives us an account of what happens to Paul after that imprisonment, but it seems from, from the way that he writes in, in other places and, and from the writings of some of the early church fathers that that, that actually does happen. Right? And I don't think that Paul is saying that this is prophecy, that he is like, this is a word from God that this is going to happen because he's, he's clearly not sure and he's clearly talking about like, whether by life or by death, like, I'm going to glorify God. But he's saying, if I had to bet, like, I, think, I think this is what God has in store. And, and there seems like good indication that that may be what actually happened. And so now Paul's imprisoned in Rome and he's... he's um, oh, also this, this imprisonment in Rome... What's, what's really poetic about this is this is how the Philippian church started with his imprisonment in Philippi is that Paul was thrown in prison, again, for no, for no legitimate reason, thrown in prison in Philippi for like, essentially for sharing the gospel. And he's, just, and he's been beaten really bad. Paul and Silas have been beaten terribly. And they're in prison and they're just singing praise songs to God. They're just rejoicing and, and worshiping God. And then this earthquake comes and they get out and then the Philippian jail is there. And Shannon's talked about it in sermons past. And basically... They get to come and be part of the church, and with some other people, the church in Philippi is started. And it began by Paul's joy in a circumstance that he had no busy being happy, no business being happy, not at all. And yet he was rejoicing. He was, he was excited to just praise God and excited to see what was, what was going to happen next. And now he's doing the same thing in Rome. And so this is a way we see that God is spreading and moving the gospel um, from, from people to people through supernatural joy in circumstances where people just have no business being happy. So what does that tell us? Well, so much of our lives, we spend grumbling about little things. So much of our lives, we spend just with a lack of joy. Probably maybe one of the most common things is just that we have unfulfilled desires, that there's things that we want, that we want perhaps more than God, or that we want almost as much as God that we don't have, and that they sap our joy. And, and because we fixate on what we don't have, that it just, it robs us of joy. And, and I think what Paul's saying here is that when we make Christ our highest joy, when we want Jesus more than anything else, and we seek to find our joy in him first, him alone, that's going to absolutely transform the way that our lives look and the way that our attitude, the, the sort of attitudes that we have in all of the different circumstances of life. Like, Paul doesn't, he doesn't know if he's about to die, but he's excited to see what God's going to do next. And so uh, a big thing for us from this passage is that we can magnify God's name in this community by enjoying him again and again, by turning our eyes to Christ, desiring him more than anything else. Any, any rivals in, in, my, in my heart for, for God, um, uh, for the throne of my heart, to, to put all those things aside, to put all those things away, and to love and focus on knowing and enjoying God again and again. And that's, there's probably no bigger apologetic than that sort of joy for the church. There's probably no bigger reason that people have to look and say, where does that joy come from? How is that possible? How are you so just joyful all of the time? 
right? Even when it's hard, even when you'd think that you'd be dragging your feet when your head would be down, how are you so joyful? What would it look like if everyone in this church committed to enjoying God in that way, committed to seeking, striving first and foremost to enjoy God before we try to enjoy other things? I'm not saying that we can't enjoy other things, but that in everything that we do, we would be recognizing that every good and perfect gift is from God. And when you recognize that, you start to seek God first. And all of the other things that we could want and, and have, like we can still want those things, but they all come second to God. And if we don't have those things, there's a peace that we can have about it because we know that we have God and he's everything to us. To live is Christ. So what's keeping you from saying with conviction, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain? What rivals does God have for that throne of your heart? Whatever they are, they aren't better. God is the author and the source of all joy. And so my prayer, both for my life and for, for everyone in this church, is that we would not miss out on that joy, but that we would embrace God. And so as we wrap up, I just want to share a couple practical thoughts for how we can anchor our joy in Christ, how we can love and want Jesus more than anything else. Because I think for many of us, that is something that we want, but that's just hard to live. Amen? That's, that's very hard to live out. It's so easy to be distracted from that, to go astray from, from following God and seeking him first. And so the first thing... I, that I think of when I think about how you can be anchored in, in Christ and how you can have your joy set and your hope set fully on Christ is gospel saturation. What I mean is that we would be um, coming back to the gospel again and again every day and throughout the day. That as I read the Bible, as I listen to sermons, as I uh, spend time with other believers and talk with them, and as I am in Bible studies or missional communities or think about my spiritual life, that I would be coming back to the gospel again and again so that I would always be remembering both what God has done for me, the implications of that in my life, and how he has made a way for me to enjoy him now in this, in this life, in this time that I have access to the full glory of God, and that what's awaiting for me is an eternity of joy with him, and so that, that that can be my hope. Another thing is serving others. I think we, uh, by, by incorporating gospel-motivated service in my life, I am bringing myself closer and more aligned to the heart of God, and so I can be just reminded more of the joy of serving, um, and, and to be able to see my life used by God and, and have that joy to see others blessed through my life in the same way that Paul is seeing others blessed through his life. Another one is giving thanks, being thankful. So remembering all of the things that God has done. This, this is something that I just long to see more of in my own prayer life, that for all of the things that I pray for, that I would be twice as often thanking God for all of the things that I've seen him do. And that I would be keeping track of all the prayer requests that he answers, so that I would have a journal that just is a testimony to all of the ways that God has answered prayer in my life. And that I'd be thanking. And so when we thank God for the things that he's done, it, it, seriously, there's, there's this crazy supernatural effect that it has. I, I remember years ago, I was seeing a counselor and I walked in and I was just super grouchy. And I just, he was like, all right, you know what? Why don't you go in that room and just take a couple of minutes and just write down all the things that you could be thankful for, even if you're not, just the things that you could be thankful for. And then take like the last like three minutes and just pray down that list and just thank God. You don't have to feel it. Just thank God for each of those things. And I got like a third of the way through the list and I was like crying. Like, oh my gosh, God's so good. Like, that's, that's just that the power of thanksgiving. We were, we were made also to give thanks and to praise and bless and glorify God for all that he does. And finally, just I would just encourage that we would be praying that God would lead us to want him more than anything else. And as we pray that, that we would build our life around that. So think, what are the things in your life 
that are stealing your joy? What are the things in your life that are pulling your eyes away from Christ? They might be false sources of comfort. They might be um, desires that you're obsessing over that you don't have. Uh, or maybe things that you do have that you're obsessing over. But whatever it is, what are those things that, that are rivaling God for the ultimate place of affection in your heart? As we pray that God would, would transform our hearts, we can be set, structuring our lives to set those things aside, to move those things away, to get rid of them, to get them out, so that our life would just be for God and for knowing him. And so even if I don't feel it in those moments, I can say, God, I'm here. I don't want to be reading my Bible right now. I don't, I don't want to be spending this time with you right now. All I can think about is the thing I'm obsessing over. But at the same time, I'm here because I want to know you more. And I want to have this joy in you. And so I'm asking that you, through your supernatural power, would work and move in me to give me joy in you first and open my eyes to how great you are. That's all I got for us. Um, once again, our big idea, God calls us to magnify his name through enjoying him above all else. And so as we do that, we're bringing the fulfillment of joy both, both more and more into our lives, and also we're bringing that to the, the community around us as well. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, this word. Thank you for uh, joy and that we were made for joy and that we have an eternity of joy in you to look forward to. Lord, I just pray for this church that we would not find our joy in lesser things. I pray that we would not be people who seek to follow you with our lives, but absolutely just miss out on all of the joy that we can have in knowing you. And Lord, I pray that we would be people who uh, just partner together and team up together to help each other know you more uh, and just find and unlock and and gain that joy uh, that we can have in you. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.